Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 John. Book of 2 John. And uh, feel free if you need to. The, the Bible's in front of you. Uh, you can use one of those the hardback black ones, and uh, if you are using that one, it'll be page 1,025 in those Bibles. Don't know about the other Bibles, but Second John, that's where we'll be at um, just for two weeks, just for two weeks. It's a short book, and then we'll be on to Third John after that. Um, today, I want to really just do an overview of the book. I think a primary theme of the book I want to look at, and really a condensed or more um, focused view of the first three verses. Next week, then, we will look at the last ten verses of the book, and that will be next week. But today, I want to read the entirety of the book, just so you can go home and say, I read an entire book of the Bible in church. Now, I want to read it for context, and so I'd encourage you to just follow along and, and listening and uh, read the entire book, and we'll, we'll walk through it, okay? The first three verses, at least. This is what the Word of God says. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is His commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. That's the Word of God. Like I said, today I want to do an overview, really, of what I think a major theme in the book is, um, with a particular focus on the first three verses. Kiddos, where are you at? I'm looking around, seeing. Whenever I was young, I, I was really excited about getting a letter in the mail. Kids, you know what I'm talking about? You love it when 
Yeah, when you get a letter in the mail and you're like, Who, who's it for? Who's it from? Who's it to? Does it have my name on it? You know what I'm talking about? It's just really exciting. And then whenever you get old, you're just like, please don't be more bills. Please not be for me. <laughs> and you just don't want it. But we want to know who it's to. Is it to me? Who it's from. And what'd they say? What'd they say? Well, I think we need to do a little bit of that with this letter because this is, this is a letter. I know it's a book in the Bible and so we think it's just, just well, a book in the Bible. But in actuality, it was a letter. It was a letter folded up and sent off for somebody to take, open up, and read it. And consider who's it to, who's it from, what's it about? The same as we would receive a letter today. It's exactly that. So, Second John, I think we can see a little bit of that in just verse 1, just looking at verse 1. Who's it from and who's it to? Well, it's from the elder is the name that he takes on. Now, we know from documents as early as the first 100 years of the New Testament being around that the elder or the one writing Second John was John himself, the same author of the Gospel of John and the same author of First John and Third John, the epistles. We have a document within 100 years of the New Testament being written that affirms this. And if you're nerdy and you're interested, it's called the Muratorian Fragment. Yes, that's a very cool thing to, to just say, the Muratorian Fragment. But that's from the second century that says that. The elder, he takes on that title because of the spiritual authority that he holds. The, the word for elder is oftentimes synonymous in the Bible with pastor. And so it speaks to his spiritual authority over this body of believers. So that's who it's from. And it's to the elect lady and her children. Now, there's a couple interpretations of what, who the elect lady is. Um, but the majority opinion amongst scholars is that it's not a literal woman, you know, named Stacy or Jenny or something like that, right? It's not, a, it's not a specific individual, but rather the elect lady is actually a local church. She's a local church. And I think we get a little bit of an inkling to that reality if we look at the very last verse of the book when it says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Okay, so what we're looking at are ladies that have children, and he's saying the children are the ones that are greeting you. The majority opinion amongst scholars is that the elect lady would be a local church that John knows, and her children would be congregants of that church. So that's who it's to, and we know who it's from. Generally speaking, John's talking about a couple different things in this letter, but what's it about? Well, I think largely he's warning them about false teachers who will come their way and what to do with that, how to stand firm in the truth when false teachers come their way. I mean, he, he talks about it in verses 7 and 8. You can just glance down. It won't be on the screen, but for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one as the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. Okay, so he's warning about false teachers coming and not associating with them. 
And I think this is balanced out pretty well with 3 John, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, where he's actually talking about the opposite situation, where he's commanding them in 3 John to accept biblical teachers. 2 John is about rejecting false teachers. 3 John, accepting biblical teachers. You can just flip there. It's just the next page to 3 John. And let me just read verses 7 and 8. He's talking about traveling missionaries. He says in verse 7, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So I think they balance each other out well. And that's what I think largely 2 John is about. Today, I want to focus on the leading three, the first three verses, because I think that sets a groundwork for the major theme in the book of 2 John. Let me read it again and notice his focus on truth and love. Truth and love. Let me read the first three verses again. The elect, or the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. I lost my place. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Do you see how much he talks about truth and love here? And this was certainly applicable to them then, and it's just as, if not more so, applicable to us today. The need to talk about truth and love. Because both love and truth are under attack all around us. And the world around us. There's pressure to redefine what love is. right? Flattening it out to be merely agreement and acceptance of somebody, that that's just what you need to do for love. That is love. Accept and affirm. It's flattened out. A very complex concept that is love. And if you don't do those things, well, you're not loving. Love is under attack today. But there's also pressure to ignore objective truth. Objective truth. We live in a, what is called oftentimes a post-truth world. Have you ever heard that term before? A post-truth world. Like post-COVID world. We're, I'd like to think post-COVID. We're, a lot of people would say we're post-truth. We're beyond that now. That's an old reality. Truth at one time may have been objective right or wrong, black and white. Truth is now said to be subjective. What is true for you may not be true for me. It depends on the subject. It depends on the person. It depends on the circumstances. It may have been black and white then. Truth is very subjective now. It can depend on who it is. Truth is said to be also evolving. What was true at one time may not necessarily be true now. Truth is under attack today, just as love is. And we are called 
and Second John, as well as the entirety of Scripture, to fight both fronts. To maintain biblical truth while endorsing biblical love. Not compromising on either truth or love. We have to be relentlessly, relentlessly people of love. We can't let go of love. Forgiving people when everyone else is canceling and silencing people. We're forgiving people. We're helping when everyone else is retaliating in the world. We want to build up when everyone else is pointing fingers and vilifying. We want to extend grace when other people are shaming and condemning. We have to be people of love. And we have to be stubbornly people of truth. Stubbornly. Probably to the person of the world, annoyingly, people of truth. Firmly planted when other people go with the trends and pleased with age-old truths when other people are taken by new ideas every day. Stubbornly people of truth. And I think if we're being honest, we all tend, each of us individually, tend to be favoring of one side or the other. Either you really love to be loving, kind, and gentle, and your tendency might be to err on the side of being too affirming because you just want to love them. Or you might be on the other side and err on the side of truth. You're just very black and white, objective thinker, and yet come off sometimes rude and hateful. And I think we have to fight against either side of the road, falling into those ditches and being people in the middle, balancing love with truth and truth with love. Truth and love, if we're looking at 2 John, I think shape two things. If you're a note taker, this is me winking at you. Truth and love shape two things. Just say them now and then we're going to walk through them. Firstly, truth and love shape how we relate to one another. And then truth and love shapes how God relates to us. Firstly, how we relate to one another. And then secondly, how God actually relates with us. Let's look at the first one. Truth and love shapes how we relate to one another. Let me look at verses 1 and 2 with you one more time. It says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love... In truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Truth and love shape how we relate to each other. But can you notice here, just looking at these first two verses? This only applies for people who know the truth. That is Christians. This only applies for Christians. He says, I love you in truth. And, and, and everyone else who knows the truth loves you in truth. But he never says anywhere that the person who doesn't know the truth loves in truth. That's just not. This applies to, to Christians exclusively. 
So we shouldn't be surprised when non-Christians embrace the idea of love not rooted in truth. Right? They're not people of truth. For the non-Christian, the person that doesn't know the truth, love, put it in quotes, is shaped by the carnal mind, not by the truth of God. That's why we see in Romans 1.26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. That's love without truth, by the way. Dishonorable passion, that's a false love. It's love without truth. God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations with those that they are contrary to nature. That is contrary to nature. It's love without truth. And it shouldn't be shocking that non-Christians would embrace love without truth. They're not people of truth. I think this is keenly evident with the hot topic right now of gender identity. Right? Some may change their appropriate pronouns and use pronouns that are untruthful to them. Right? A man using the pronoun she or her. And it makes sense. They're not people of truth. They don't live by the truth. Right? And so non-Christians can go along with this delusion Use that person's false pronouns, their untrue pronouns. And it makes sense, again, because they're not people of truth. But for Christians to be expected to go along with and affirm false identities requires us to compromise on objective truth, doesn't it? To deny truth. And we can't. We're people of the truth. So our love and kindness of an individual has to be shaped by affirming, not denying truth. And so, Christian, upholding truth, even as basic as using pronouns appropriately, upholding truth is worth slander that might come because you're doing it. It's worth being vilified for. It's worth being persecuted for in society around you. It's worth losing your job for. Can I say that to you? It's worth losing your job for because you're a person of truth before you're whatever your occupation is. You're a person of truth. Now, you don't go out looking for persecution, but it comes no- if it comes knocking on the door, we embrace it before we embrace lies. We have to heed God's warning in Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good. Woe to them. That's a word of judgment. So this is the thing for, for Christians, people of the truth. We love in truth. And so for Christians, not 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 non Christians, truth shapes our love to the elect lady and her children whom I love. I just Love, however you want to define love. No, I love in, in truth. So guys, this means we need to know the truth, doesn't it? It means we really need to know this book if it's going to shape the way we love. 
That's why, that's why we do catechism. That's why we do catechism. Because when we are about to, just think about this practically, the order of the service even. Pastor Trent and myself have put thought into even the order of service. When we're about to sing songs, right, that's, that's doing something with the heart. That's singing, that's, that's praising, that's exalting and enjoying God. But before we do those things, loving God, we first do catechism. Because our love, our praise, is shaped by the truth. And the truth leads into appropriate praise and love. Why we do, that's why we should be doing catechism at home with our children, because they're growing up and need truth. That's why we strive to have theologically rich songs, theologically rich sermons, because you need the truth. Not just preached to you, but sung. We need the truth to shape how we live. It's these truths which shape and inform us on how to love one another best. So, if we love in truth, this means two simple things. Note takers, again. If we love in truth, this means, firstly, it's not loving to avoid the truth for the sake of comfort. Let me say that again. I think I might even have it on the screen. It's not loving to avoid the truth for the sake of comfort. If we're going to love in the truth, but we hide the truth, we're not loving. Because we just want things to be comfortable in our relationship. So let me just hide the truth. Well, you're not loving anymore then. Because our love is in the truth. So let's think about this practically. Think about this reality practically in your life. With me for a second. Say you have a a friend who's a Christian as engaged to be married but they're in an unequally yoked relationship. How do you love that person? You don't love them by staying quiet and just Saying, ah, it's not my relationship. It's not my marriage. No. We love in truth, so we love by calling it out and saying the Word of God says we are to be married in the Lord. Only in the Lord. We love by telling them the truth. Not by staying quiet and going along with it. Think about this. A Christian is being rude, hateful, known for that. We love them by telling them that they're not representing Christ well to those around them. That's how you love them, by telling them the truth. And it doesn't just have to be confrontational love. I know those two situations were both confrontational in nature. But telling people the truth in love doesn't always have to be confrontational. Assume you have a friend who's discouraged about something going on in their life. They're beat down. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're discouraged. You love them by reminding them of the hope that they can look forward to in Christ Jesus according to the truth of His Word. That's how you love them. 
You build them up with the truth. You allow the truth to be a balm to their wound. We love in truth. It's the first thing I think we can learn from the first two verses here of 2 John. It's not loving to avoid the truth. But secondly, we also know that simply saying the truth is not automatically loving. My black and white thinkers out there, this is to you. Simply saying the truth is not automatically loving. There's a hateful way to say the truth. And then there's a loving way to say the truth. We're not just people of truth. We're people that love with truth. We don't hide the truth. We love with it. We look out for people's best needs with the truth. So, truth and love shapes how we relate with one another. But truth and love shapes also how God relates with us. Truth and love shapes how God relates with you, church. Let's look at verse 3. It says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. Amen to that. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. You see that? The grace that we have, it's in truth and love. The mercy that we have, it's in truth and love. The peace that we have, it's in truth and love. Truth and love shapes how God relates with you. And this is the gospel, isn't it? I think it's so easy to be honest, okay? Do you ever just brush past the introductions of books of the Bible really quickly? That guy says the same thing every single time. Just me. Well, a bunch of liars in the room. <laughs> if we brush over verse 3, we, we brushed over the gospel as if it's just a second thought, as if it's just something that I don't need to hear it anymore. Hear the gospel. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. That's the good news that you live every day according to. Don't brush over it. And you might, you might be a person that doesn't really come to church. You don't really know these Christianese terms. Grace is God giving you something you don't deserve. You don't deserve salvation. And yet you get it. It's grace. Mercy, that's God not giving you something you definitely do deserve. You deserve judgment for your sins. I do too. It's not a slander on you. It's just the reality is you're a sinner, only saved by grace. You deserve judgment, and yet God doesn't give that to his people. That's mercy and peace. That's God taking his enemies and making them children. Peace. That's the good news of the gospel. He gives us these three things, and it's according to his love that he does that. It's because he loves you that he would give you grace, mercy, and peace. And it's also, get this, according to his truth that he would give you grace, mercy, and peace. Not just his love, it's his truth. Like, that doesn't really make sense. 
nature of my profession, I meet with a lot of individuals that um, were un- unfaithful at one point or another to their spouse. I just talked to individuals that they made vows one day, standing up there, holding their hands, looking them in the eye, making vows of faithfulness, standing with them. And then somewhere down the line, temptation creeps in, division starts to happen, and unfaithfulness, breaking those promises, those vows, happens somewhere down the line. And it's not just it's not just in my profession. I, I, I've seen it in my own family, not my immediate family, but I've seen it in my family. And it's not like I look at that and think I'm just any better than any one person just because I haven't done that. We're all sinners. We all break our word, certainly to God. We're all unfaithful. I'm no better. It's because we're sinners by nature, unfaithful. Our word is not always true. And yet God is nothing like that. God isn't like that. So if you know that even personally in your life, someone hurting you with unfaithfulness, someone hurting you with lies, untruth, let me tell you, God isn't like that. His word is firm. His word is reliable. What he says is a guarantee every time it can be trusted. And get this, his word says that if you make Jesus Lord, you will be saved. You will be saved. That means You will receive grace. You will receive mercy. You will receive peace. These gifts in salvation are not just in God's love for you. It's in His truth that He promised it that you would receive those things. It is according to His spoken truth that we will have life one day if Jesus is our Lord. And so, if you aren't walking with Jesus today, if you don't know that God who's truthful and who's loving, just tell you, his word is true, and his message is love, and he loves you in truth. And if you've never stepped into a relationship with him today, today is the best day, because it's right now. Because it's right now. If you've never decided to give your life to Christ today, I would love to talk to you. I know somebody up in the front would love to. Don't leave this room without doing that. I encourage you, don't leave this room without doing that. And if you have done that before, and you are walking with Christ, can I speak to the Christians for a second? Two things. Keep love and truth in your life. Let them shape how you interact with other people. Keep them both. Don't be overcome by hate, spite, bitterness. Spread love to the people that are around you. And Don't be bashful with the truth. Don't be timid with the truth. Don't be shy about the truth. Be bold with the truth. Be stubborn with the truth. Keep them both. And keep the goal. Keep the goal. What I mean by that 
is your goal is not to make everyone feel validated around you. I know that's what the world's telling you is your goal. It's not your goal to make everyone feel validated around you. To validate their lifestyle. That's not your goal. Your goal is not to also win every argument. It's not. That's not that shouldn't be your goal to win every argument. Your goal is to honor God with your faithful witness. Honor God. And then provoke others to heart transformation by showing them love and truth. Keep the goal, keep truth, and keep love. Amen. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 